The following was recorded live at Podtails on October 20th, 2019, using hardly improvised recording equipment. The sound quality isn't great, but we hope you'll enjoy it anyway. Today we present an interview with Sophie Kaner, co-creator, director, and sound designer for the Penumbra podcast. Sophie sat for a live discussion with the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's Cap Blackard. Hello, folks. Um, I'm Cap Blackard of the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, and today we're going to be talking with Sophie Kaner of the Penumbra podcast. Hi. Um, Does anyone want to like come? I mean, you don't have to. But, like, there's so few people. We should and get cozy. Just come hang out. Um, they're co-creator, director, and sound designer of the show. Um, and I want to take a read. How many people are familiar with Penumbra? Oh, thank God. Everyone knows <laughs> what's up. This is perfect. I mean, I don't know why else they would come to this. I mean, you never know. Some random person. Um, I'll do like a, a panel on like Ninja Turtles or something. I'll be like, how many people have like read a Ninja what Turtles comic a Ninja book? Turtle? And they'll be like, nobody raises their <laughs> hand. Um, so, Penumbra as an anthology show of a kind, or how do you, what do you just do you describe Penumbra typically? That's a good question. Uh, I try not to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, because the, the problem with it is that we didn't know what it was going to end up being when right, we started yeah. it, right? So, like, when we started, we um, intended it for to be, like, the Twilight Zone or, like, Black Mirror. Um, and so it was supposed to be an anthology with a different story every time, um, except that... So the, the first the first one we actually wrote was Shaken, if everyone has listened to that. Um, that's like our first horror one. And then we did Home, which was also horror, which was like released later. But then um, the next one we decided to do Noir. And um, at the very last minute, Kevin was like, also on Mars. Um, <laughs> so, and that's sort of how Juno Steele came to be. Wow. Okay. So that's wild. So. Oh yes. <laughs> so in the writing process, there's yeah. a lot. I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, how was it always science fiction, and then it was on Mars, or like did was all that flavor added in? I mean, at what point? I'm so. Okay. It was. Explain. It, was it was before <laughs> before the drafting actually began that okay. decision was made. But it was like we had. Um, I mean, the, the place that Juno Steele comes from is you know talking about um, how much we like noir detectives, but they're always straight because everybody's always straight. Um, and uh, I mean, this is in a way a little bit more Kevin's story than mine because um, at the time that we started coming up with that idea just for ourselves, he had, he was like just coming out as bi. And so we were like, oh, let's make the detective bi. Um, and then I was like, oh, and if he's bi, then instead of a femme fatale, we could have an homme fatale, um, which is where we got Nereo from. Um, but yeah, so like as soon as we started writing that one, that script ended up being longer. That's how it became a two-part story, which is now why all the Juno Steel stories are like two parts, unless they're three parts. Um, and uh, then we were like, oh, but we want to come back to that character. So then we like did another short story and then we're like, okay, and then we'll do another Juno Steel. Um, and then what we realized is that it's so hard to do an anthology series because you have to like get people invested in an entire entirely new set of characters yeah. and like setting every time and you have to like come up with something brand new every time and you don't have as much space for character development. But marketing so difficult at that point as well sure. like finding finding the audience. Like, yeah. I, I do an anthology show but it's still like everyone knows consistently no matter what happens it's going to be in the same world. 
Right. And that's that'll happen. But I mean, at this point, you have both a science fiction show and a fantasy show. Yes. And I'm really curious about that dichotomy and how and how the show has evolved or the feed itself has yeah. evolved into what it is today. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. So, like, by the time we were finishing up the first season, we were starting to think of the um, the one shots kind of as pilots um, for another series. So we were like, okay, we know we're going to stick with Juno Steel, um, <clears throat> and I don't think we can keep doing this as an anthology. So um, we'll write new stories, and then when we feel like one really catches, we'll just stick with that. And we had another option um, that we were, we had a couple of other options for series that we were going to try. Um, one was going to be sort of like a monster of the week kind of thing um, with a little girl and her butler who was like a genie and they had um, like, she had this family history of um, like saving endangered like magical creatures. Uh, but like, and her mother ran it, but her mother was mysteriously missing. So it was like her and her butler like going around and they're like, they would hear about a mythical creature and they'd be like, oh, we have to like save them from the situation. Um, so that was like one option. And then another option, uh, which we recorded that. And then I was like, I hate it. So like, <laughs> actually, I never sound designed that. And then another option, early option, which we also recorded. And I started to sound design until I hated that too, um, was uh, about these to sisters, um, like almost adult but orphan sisters um, who lived in the city that was like always nighttime, I think. And um, there was gonna be like, they would encounter a ghost, this like dead Duke played by Noah Symes, of course. <laughs> um, and we sort of ended up like taking bits and pieces from that, but that didn't stick either. And then the thing that did stick was our first Second Citadel. Um, episode, uh, which started out, I think I was like, you know, okay, what if we did knights? But like, what if, what if a knight was disabled? Like, what would that look like? Um, and then in order to like functionally make that work, we were like, okay, well, maybe he needs, somebody has to be with him. So and that's his brother. So there are these two adventuring knights and like, you know, they fight monsters. And then we were like, oh, we're really into this universe. And, um, that was pretty natural to build out because you can add more knights and more monsters um, and sort of smaller characters that we introduced in the first episode ended up getting built out. And then we just kind of stuck with that. And so now what we do is alternate between the two, which is so like weird. It's such a weird... From your end, is it working? I mean, yeah, yeah, like it, it works. I mean, especially because like with um, casting and scheduling and stuff like that, it wouldn't really be possible to just continuously do Juno Steel. Mm. Um, and so we kind of need that buffer, yeah. like we need to alternate in that way. Um, and, but also as it has developed, they have become, I think, more complementary to each other in design because, um, you know, in the Juniverse, like we have a queer utopia, but it's a capitalist dystopia. And um, in one of the things that people would sometimes say was like, um, you know, we, we love seeing a world where, you know, queerness is fine and no one questions it, but also we queer people in the real world, like struggle with it a lot. And sometimes we, we do want to see that, like sometimes that is validating to see. So the second Citadel became a place where it isn't exactly like it is in our world, but, um, but it's a much 
bigger problem for people who live in that world to be queer. Well, uh, yeah, I was really, um, I found um, uh, Damien's struggle with his sudden onslaught of feelings towards that violet-eyed <laughs> guy. Like, uh, that, was, that was just very compellingly done in his anxiousness and, um, and uncertainty about feeling those feelings. It's, it's fun, it's good, and if, if he lived in a world where queerness was the norm, then he wouldn't have really any right. questions about that. Right, and like we sort of like dovetailed it together, like his feelings about like, oh no, I'm into monsters, and like, but like male monsters. <laughs> um, so it's like, it's, uh, you know, attraction to monsters as metaphor for queerness, but also queerness at the same time, yeah. literally. No. So um, I've, just for full disclosure, I've listened to a cherry-picked collection yes. of Penumbra. Yes. So there's a lot of content, and I'm, I'm now that I I've, I've so gotten this. Well, I don't ever, ever apologize for that. Like you're it's, right, it's, I never will again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a it's such a wide scope of material, and and now that I've like seen like both where it begins and where it's going, I'm really excited to fill in the middle bits. Yeah. But I've noticed that it seems like you have a pretty steady reoccurring cast of players. Yes. So can we talk about that? Where your cast yes. comes from? And yes. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, casting is so hard. Um, and one thing that's very hard about it is that I pretty much entirely insist on uh, working with people in person. And I think that sometimes in some audio dramas, like people work remotely yeah. more, which makes it a lot easier because you can cast a very wide net. You can just go online and be like, who wants to be in the show? Um, but I come from a theater background. It's really important to me to work with people in person. It's really important to me to have in-person rehearsals, to have people like build up character dynamics and chemistry in person. Um, and sometimes that has to be sacrificed. I mean, at this point we have an established cast and so we have to abide by their schedule and sometimes people can't make it in at the same time and we have to splice it together. But, um, but usually I only let that happen when like, they've already established their rapport so they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so like the, the original, like the bones of the cast comes from UMass. I mean, I went to UMass and I was in um, the UMass Theater Guild and um, my co-creator, Kevin, was not. We were in the um, English major together and we were in like creative writing classes together. Um, but like all of my other friends were from theater and so when Kevin and I started writing it, I was like, oh, I'll just grab, you know, some of my friends who are still in the area um, from school. So that is, that's Joshua, Elon, and Kate Jones, and Noah Symes, um, and uh, Jason Mellon, who plays Talfren and the Prince of Mars, and um, Stefano Purdy, who plays um, Nick Mercury. Um, and so, so those people are like, school friends um, and people that I acted with in the past. And then like a lot of times we would sort of like build roles around them. Um, and then I would start to pull from like productions I had been in after college. And then after that, um, then we were like, oh shit, we like really need so many more people. Um, so now we largely pull from the Boston theater scene. Um, and luckily, uh, Noah is very active in the, the theater scene in the area. And so, like, he brings in a lot of people to audition for me. Um, casting is very, very hard, though, because, like, I, um, I want voices that uh, are very distinct from one another because, like, one of the Critically tough important. Yeah, one of the toughest things in audio drama. I mean, how many times have you listened to something and you're like, I don't know, they all sound the same. Like, you can't 
tell people apart and I never wanted that to happen. So like I wanted to, for every single voice, I wanted to like really create a very distinct sound that you could not mistake for anyone else. And like sometimes it still happens, I think. Uh, but, you know, I try to think very carefully about it. Like, okay, if I have two women with the same register of voice, somebody has to have an accent. Like there has to, or like a very distinctive way of speaking that you can really tell them apart. Um, so that's very challenging. Um, you run into a lot of uh, like interesting issues surrounding casting for race and for gender. Um, and what issues specifically? If you so yeah yeah um, it yeah it can be really challenging. I mean especially because when we started writing the show, we didn't um, have like races in mind really for any of the characters, and I think yeah. that can be the case for a lot of audio dramas because you don't see them. Um, and especially because the Juniverse takes place in the very far future and Second Citadel takes place in a whole like other fantasy world, who says like races really are the way that we think of them as being. And yeah. certainly we always imagined that in the Juniverse, it would be far enough in the future that races would be much less distinct. Like people would just sort of in general be mixed. Um, and so, but we cast the people first and then we thought about that later and then we... Definitely, I don't know like how aware everybody is of this, but we definitely like ran into major issues when we started um, creating art for the podcast, right? Because, um, you know, we, like I pulled, like my original, you know, the bones of the cast was like just people from school and uh, UMass is very white. <laughs> um, in fact, I think maybe the whole time I was at UMass, um, in, the, in the theater guild, uh, which was just like a student-run program. It's not like through the school itself. It's totally student-run. There were like maybe like three or four people of color, like in the whole thing ever, you know? Uh, yeah. And like, and UMass itself in general is very white. And then the theater guild was very white. And the theater scene is very white. And so like that was sort of, those were the people I started with. And then we, we've, I mean, it's been really challenging, like because we um, took on, an artist and she designed a lot of the characters without ever having seen the actors. And so like, I think probably everyone knows, like if you look at the official art and now at the fan art, uh, Juno is always portrayed as black and Nereev is Asian and the actors aren't. And especially if you come to the show later and you don't know that, um, it can be really upsetting to people, I think. You know, if you so look at- So it gets at, perceived as erasure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like people will come to the show later and they'll be like, I'm sorry, you wrote a character of color and you cast them with white actors? Like that's so messed up, that's, right? That's very difficult, yeah. It is. Um, and I obviously would never do it in that direction, but yeah. then I would look at it the other way and I would be like, if I were to do it again, what would I do? Like just make all the characters white? I don't, I don't really want to, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And like, and as a person of color, I don't want to do that, you know? Um, and, like, I play multiple characters on the show, and, like, okay, so I'm I'm mixed race, so do all of the characters that I play on the show have to be the mixed race and, like, the same races that, that I, you it's know? It's a pretty large discussion that I think is, like, yeah. bubbling under the surface of a lot of, a lot of audio <laughs> yes, drama. Like, yes. there's, um, there's a guy named Chris Spivey who did this incredible supplement for The Call of Cthulhu called Harlem Unbound, and it's, like, acclaimed for exploring... Uh, 
racism in the 1920s and like the black experience in New mm-hmm. York City. And it's just, I mean, it's really an incredible history book in addition to having a noble horror tied into it. But he knows that the large, you know, generally the tabletop role playing community are largely white males. Right. And in role playing, you're always going to wear someone else's skin. Right. And as a black man, he, he's like, no, no you, this is, I, I want you to read my book and I want you to understand this experience and yeah. I want you to live this experience yeah. because you're going to learn from it. Mm. And I mean, it's a bit different because it's, it's role playing acting, of course, is, you know, like right. high functioning role playing, but then you're marketing it. So it gets complicated, it but it's really complicated at the end of the day, like our stories, they need to get told the way they're going to be told. Yeah. And like the politics of it all are very important. Yes. As long as, as long as everything we're doing is mindful. Yes. I think like, can't please everybody, but the very least we can fall back on, on the fact that, you know, we're, we're aware and we're mindful of it. Yes. And like, I'm certainly more aware than I was when I started. I mean, yeah. and of course, when I started, like we didn't mean for it to be a podcast. We were like, well, that's a good thing in our living room. Yeah. Let's, uh, can we talk about, I mean, if we divert it too much, but can we talk about the origins of it? Your experience with the audio dramas prior to um, creating? Oh my God, like almost zero. Like we were like, we probably are the first ever fiction podcast. I'm sure. Like that was how we went into about the medium of audio storytelling at large? So that was kind of our inspiration because we, um, this was like, I guess, October of 2015 probably is that, um, Kevin and I were like listening to old, um, like radio horror. Yeah. Um, and we were like, oh, we can, let's write one, you know, and I'll like invite my friends over and we'll just like act it out. And we're like, let's just record it. Like just, cause. <laughs> and then we were like, well, we have it recorded. Let's just put sound effects in, um, very badly. I mean, it's hard because like the whole feed is still there. And like, I go back and I listen to shaken and I'm like, so mortified, you know, <laughs> because it was the first time I ever like touched anything like that, you know? So like That's the so whole penumbra is my whole experience with sound design and like all my whole journey as an artist i know what it's like to pick <laughs> apart your own material but having listened to shaken it ain't that bad come on thank you <laughs> <laughs> like yes does it get stepped up it absolutely gets stepped thank up you. but like you know it, you. It, it's your fault i think the writing was very good and that's to kevin's credit um but but yeah like you can hear my whole my whole learning experience as a sound designer like on the penumbra feed um and so it's very funny like I, at a certain point, like, I don't even try very hard to sell it to new listeners. Um, it, it does kind of, I'm, I'm, I think we're very lucky in that it kind of spreads itself. Like, listeners will tell other listeners. Um, but, like, if I tell a friend, I'm like, you don't have, because then you have to start at the beginning. And, like, it's just, and you're not going to get invested until, like, five episodes in. So, like, yeah, like I, I actually have trouble selling it to people for the first time because, like, I'm very, very proud of what we're doing now. Yeah. But it took a really long time to get there, you know? I, I too, have a show that starts with a thing that I don't love as much as where it is now. <laughs> and it's, boy, that's just, that's just you audio dramas for you. Yeah. You just have to live with it. Like, well, your whole artistic history. As, uh, you know? <laughs> as is the case yes I mean and that helped a little bit to be able to go back and be like hey we're a little better now um but yeah no that can be it can be embarrassing to look back and and like sometimes ethically it can be embarrassing to look back at if you look at like the Prince of Mars and like would I now write something where like a male or a masculine person like forcibly kisses a woman like I would not do that. I was really surprised by that. Yeah, I know. It's like, I mean, especially like, especially because that has become a conversation very much like for everyone right now, which is fantastic. Um, And I think that even if it hadn't, I probably eventually would have come to be like, 
Um, but like, you know, I'm not gonna sit here and like blame Kevin for writing that. Like I was I, totally it's on board. very of the genre. Yeah. I mean, and the reason, there's a reason we did it. And the reason was because we needed to demonstrate that Juno was by in a hurry. That makes sense. You know, and like, you don't, you don't have time. I was time. also surprised by that. I was like, oh, kissing on a lady. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the plot uh, thickens. <laughs> um, right. Because if you listen to the first one, you think he's gay. Um, and so we wanted to immediately establish the fact that he was bi and make that very clear. But you don't have time to, like, develop a whole relationship. Yeah, so Aggressively bi. Right. <laughs> he's very horny. Um, <laughs> yeah, my take on Juno is, like, he's very horny and, like, hates that. Like, he... he doesn't enjoy any part of that, but it just like is how he is. Um, yeah, so like I, I hate that that's part of it, but it is part of it and I can't take it back. And it's like yeah. part of how those characters are established and we can't go back and remaster every episode. Um, so like, I just have to, I just have to accept it. Like that's an yeah. interesting thing about having an ongoing show. It's like, even if I don't currently stand by the things that I started with, like it was me. You know, like, I have to say, yeah, I did that. And, totally. like, I totally understand if it makes you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. But, like... I mean, yeah. Like, you know, if you're running a talk podcast for a decade... Oh, sure. Like, as I have, like, I don't know what's back there. And I don't want to know about <laughs> that. But, like, it, it's there and whatever it happened. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, we change, which is good. Yes, exactly. <laughs> change is constant. Yeah. And I appreciate that people don't yell at me too much about it. <laughs> Lots of that is good. Um, so, you do the vocal direction. Yes. And that is a craft that I love very much. And I'd love to hear your take on it and yeah. like your, I don't know, pearls of wisdom or methodology that you really love about, about coaxing those performances from your players. I love doing it so much. I think rehearsal is really important. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned over time as a director is that like, um, it's about picking your battles. Mm. Um, and so like I work with different actors very very differently and I think I get better at working with each actor as I get to know them uh, because some people like even if they're doing something that you don't love you can't just stop them and give them the note in the moment because it will make their performance worse because they'll get so like stressed out about it so that's actually not always the best thing you can do and so like part of directing is getting to know the actors and knowing yeah. how to direct them um, and like some people you like really, really, really need to pump them up. Like the best way to get a good performance out of them is to be like, you are so amazing. Like everything you're doing is fantastic. Could you just do this thing a little bit more? Oh, amazing. And like, that's how you get um, the best performance out of them. And, and some people are very cerebral and they like have a lot of questions and they want a lot of notes. Um, and then one thing that is really a, a wonderful and beautiful thing is that when you work with one person doing the same role for so long, I mean, you know, Joshua has been playing Juno for like three, three years now. Um, and like, I don't direct him until I certainly don't direct like his voice almost at all because he just, okay, he just is Juno. Right. So like, I don't need to say that much about it. And I might talk to him more about like the emotion in a particular moment or like volume he's very mumbly like he doesn't project his voice ever so like that's a note that I give him a lot but um but it is different for different people I like to when I have new people come on I like to usually start out with a reference point like can you do Katherine Hepburn 
you know? Yeah. And like, it's not going to sound exactly like that when they do it, but it will sound like something and it will sound really distinctive. I mean, all the most memorable cartoon voices are an imitation done poorly. Yeah, absolutely. Like it actually, and, and um, I think that Kevin and I both use cartoons as a reference point a lot. I mean, it's, it's the, the craft of cartoon voice work is so very specific mm -hmm. and, um, and requires so much nuance for something so bombastic. Yeah. So, yeah. What kind of environment do you record in? Uh, so we now uh, work at a recording studio. When we started, um, I mean, for years, we recorded in my and Kevin's dining room, which is like a nightmare because it's like really echoey. Um, so like I had to do a lot of work to compensate for that. Uh, we now work at a recording studio, which is like across the street from here, actually. Um, it's called The Bridge. Um, and now we have an actual sound engineer who like, you know, deals with the levels and everything. Sounds and nice. Oh my God. <laughs> It's so nice. It's so worth it. Um, and that means that I can like focus on actually directing and working with the actors and stuff. So we now have people as much as possible in like um, separate booths. Amazing. Okay. It's so nice because what I used to have to do is like I would have to um, like you would hear bleed over in other mics. And so I would have to like while one person was talking and I was be, like editing it. And while one person was talking, I'd have to like mute the other. like it was insane. Like, can you imagine how long that takes? Like, every single line of dialogue, you have to, like, mute everybody else. Like, it just wasted just hours I'll never get back. Um, and I don't have to do that anymore because people are just recording separately. Um, and then I can do all the effects later in post. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, I, there's a, my number one question that I want to ask is I just want to know everything about Rita and the person who plays Rita. <laughs> Rita! We love Rita. Um, Rita is played by Kate Jones, um, who was also somebody that I went to UMass with, um, and also went to, like, elementary and high school with, or high school with Noah Symes, so they've, like, been friends since forever, which is, like, very charming. Um, and, yeah, she's, um, I mean, she's also been really interesting to work with because, like, now she's just been Rita since forever, um, and she can just, like, like, <laughs> she does have to do that to, like, get into the voice. So, like, you know, everyone's always laughing because we're just, like, getting ready to start. And she'll just be like, <laughs> like until she's in the voice. Um, and um, fun fact, I think I've said this before in various commentaries and things, if you guys listen to those, but, like, Back when we were doing the original Murderous Mask and I was, I only had like, I think five of us who were going to be acting in it and I was trying to sort out the roles and I would, I, um, originally I was going to play Rita, which would have been very different and less good. Um, but I think I was trying to sort out, uh, between Rita, Sasha Wire, the Kanagawa twins and Min Kanagawa and somehow I had to sort those out between me and Kate um, so there are like many different ways that could have gone, uh, but I am very happy with how it turned out. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> the, like in the first episode, uh, Rita's like kind of subdued. Rita's an archetype, but by the second yes. episode, like as soon as that horse drawing happens, <laughs> yes, I just I yes. was like, what on? Or like this, I, I immediately knew that this character was was so like wholly original and its own thing and I've just I've been skipping around in the series as I have just like I don't know I don't know when the last time I've been I've been taken aback in a good way by a character in something 
Well, she, I mean, you're absolutely right. She starts out as an archetype because we were like, okay, so we have the noir detective, so he needs to have, like, the secretary. And that's why she doesn't have a last name, right? Because she's right. like, you know, the secretary, Rita. And then we just decided to sort of stick with that. Um, and then in the second episode, we ran into the problem of, um, right, in, in the first episode, Juno is with Rex Glass the whole time, so he has somebody to talk to. So, of course, in audio drama, you always have this problem of, uh, how do you make sure people are talking so that you know what's going on at all times? And so we were like, shit, Juno needs to like go around by himself. What are we going to do to like make it clear what's happening? And Kevin came up with the idea of, okay, well, he has a secretary, Rita, she'll be like his eye in the sky. And then that necessitated her being like very tech savvy, which then like over time built up into her just being like a super genius hacker, you know, <laughs> uh, but like still keeping that like noir secretary thing. But also she's kind of like a, a child from a Miyazaki movie. Um, I did not make that comparison, but it is. That's out. always how I think of her. I always <laughs> say, like um, in Totoro, if you guys have seen Totoro, she's May, right? Like the you know, like the little screaming one. So I, I, I always think of her as that. I guess Juno is the older sister. Um, yeah. Wow. So she has many influences. Yeah. Uh, so we're about halfway through, um, and I would love to open up for questions if any of you have burning inquiries regarding Penumbra. One of my friends asked me to ask you if Juno wears Crocs. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> the questions about, somebody asked me the other day about crop tops too. Like, does Juno wear crop tops? Um, yeah. So, because you're asking me and not Joshua, <laughs> the answer is no. He doesn't wear Crocs. If you were if you're asking Joshua, you'd get a very different answer. Definitely. I'm curious why why is that question a thing? Um, Would also love to know. <laughs> my friend's nickname is Crocs, and I think she just, I, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to this podcast festival, and Sophie Kaner is going to be there, and her first instinct was, ask if Juno wears Crocs. Well, you got to know. It is an important question. I'm honestly surprised you didn't start with that. <laughs> uh, always letting myself and others down. <laughs> We'll let it slide this one time. Mm. <laughs> but you know what? It's an audio drama. You can envision it however you want. Theater to. the mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyone else? Yes. Um, so I've noticed, especially in the most recent episodes, that I'll, there's a lot of focus on how romantic relationships function mm. when both people have their own stuff yeah. going on. Um, and we saw a little bit of that with Buddy and Vespa, too. So how do you when approaching those characters and directing them, how do you um, direct the actors when they're part of a couple, but they also still need to maintain their own personalities? Uh, interesting. Um, I mean... Oh, wait, you know what? That question did not actually end up going exactly where I thought it was going to go. <laughs> Can you try me one more time? Okay. Um, when you're directing actors yes. that are part of a couple, like the characters are couples, yes. but they're all, but they also both have their own individual journeys and are overcrossing in yep. certain moments. How do you direct them so that both the um, intimacy of their relationship and their own personal trajectories are coming through in their performance? Um, well, I mean, I think that like, as with real people, right? 
people behave a certain way on their own and then mm -hmm. they behave a certain way with other people and certainly a specific way when they're in a partnership with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and so you kind of have to figure out like what what is their thing, you know, as a mm -hmm. couple. And um, so, hi Noah, um, no, no is here, I'm gonna call him out. Um, but, um, because I'm thinking of like Juno and Nereev and like uh, their thing as I think we settled on and it wasn't just, I think that it was this happened and then I noticed it and then would direct for it in the future was that like their thing ended up being their banter and like very quick banter, right? And so like, a thing about Juno and, Ray, Juno and Ray when they were together is this like very quick back and forth. Um, and so like whenever the three of us sort of landed on that at some point, it meant that every time we would return to them in a scene together, we'd be like, do the Juno Nureyev back and forth quick. I need you to pick up the pace. Like I want to, you know, I want it to almost be overlapping and they will like often sort of escalate an emotion together. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in that way, a lot of times it's, let's see what the actors naturally do, like what kind of chemistry they naturally have, and then see um, what clicks and what feels like, oh, this is what this couple does. This is what they're like when they're together. Mm -hmm. And then that means that we now have shorthands. You know, I could be like, can you do the Juno and Nureyev thing? You know the thing. And they will know what I mean um, in the same way that, you know, if I'm directing just Joshua and I'll say, you know that thing Juno does when he, like, he knows what I mean. So mm -hmm. like, we end up building a language and that holds true when the actor is being the character on their own or when they're creating chemistry with somebody else. Okay. Does that answer your question? Yes. Cool. Any other questions? Did you make your necklace yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I wish I was that talented. Uh, no, this was from um, the last live show that we just did a couple months ago and I had it um, commissioned from a, a local artist and I was, I did in the back of my mind, Noah's so mad. I did in the back of my mind, I was like, and also I may like wear this sometimes. <laughs> but it belongs to the company. I'm not gonna do anything bad to it. <laughs> Great question. Now, there's, the last Juno Steele story ended on quite the precipice of- Is everyone caught? Oh yeah, this is yes. dangerous. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> then I guess we won't say <laughs> anything because it is a doozy. Um, and it's like very spoilery, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. When, when is uh, when is the next season beginning? Season three starts on Tuesday. Uh, okay, for great. Patreon supporters, it's already the first episode has already come okay. out. But for everybody, comes out on Tuesday. Is there anything you can say about it, spoiler free, that would like to sort of I don't know prime the trajectory of like where it's headed and what you what you are aspiring towards with with this storyline moving forward? Um, in this season, with both series, uh, not just Juno, um, Kevin and I really tried to stick to um, one of our core principles as a team, which is like, don't be afraid to really switch things up. Um, because... <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a patron, so I've listened to the, yeah. to the episode, so... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying anything, I'm, I'm following. Um, yeah, so like, it's, it's very important to us, like it, when you have a long running show, it can be so tempting to just like stick to the same thing because that's that's what people love, right? If you have people who love the show, they love the exact thing you've been doing. So it's very scary to be like, let's throw that all away and do something completely different because they might not come with you. Um, but I, it's so important to me. I hate to see a show get stale. I, I hate to see a show where like 
the showrunners are afraid to let the characters develop in a new direction. Um, like, I think a good example, I don't know if anyone ever watched House, um, but that was a show that I loved so much at the beginning and then became incredibly stale for me because they were so unwilling to let the main character do something different. Like, because they had gotten so far with him just being you know, like sort of misanthropic and like hating everybody and being like cranky all the time and like um, and depressed and like not really going somewhere new with his life. Like they were very afraid to actually have him develop and go somewhere new with his life. Um, so like character wise, that's very important um, to us. And I hope that will be evident in the new season, but also um, Structurally, I mean, if you have listened to the end of season two, you already know that like there's a big change up um, in like where we're going from here. But even beyond that, um, like structurally changing things around is really important to us. And it's the same in Second Citadel. Like when you get to season three of that, you're going to see big changes there as well. And and I know like it's it's hard for us, and I know it can be hard for the audience because you expect a certain thing and you fall in love with a certain way of telling stories and, a, and the characters the way they are. But like, I think it's important to change it as much as you can and then, uh, and then get out before like it's, it's gotten into a rut, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Well, the, um, what have you noticed in, in terms of the fan base? And like clearly there's a, there's a big, strong Juno focus. And now Second yes. Citadel is also there. And it's also a very strong show. Um, how has your dedicated fan base responded to um, this other very disparate program? Um, I think that the majority of people are kind of there for Juno. I think that increasingly there are people, like there are now some people I think who only listen to Second Citadel, which is really like cool and surprising to me. Um, and I, I think it's definitely, it might have to do with how long you've been listening to the show. Like if you've been listening to it for quite a while, you're more likely to be a Juno fan. Uh, newer listeners, I think it's easier to onboard to Second Citadel. Um, it doesn't take nearly as long to hit its stride, um, and it's it's just easier listening, I think, at least at first. Um, and also because Juno can be really complicated, like like the plots are incredibly complicated. <laughs> this is very embarrassing. But like the other day, I was like, Kevin, who wrote your next Juno Steel on the wall? And he had to like explain it to me. It's like from Murderous Mask. And I like couldn't remember because they are very complicated. And like, we spend so much time just like trying to untangle logistical knots. So like, I think it can be hard to onboard people into Juno and it can be easier um, to get into Second Sit at all. But, um, but as I mentioned earlier, like we try to make them complimentary. Um, and like, if you, you know, we try to make it so like, okay, if Juno's feeling really grim right now, like maybe Second Citadel's like a little bit more upbeat. And maybe if like Second Citadel is getting a little bit rough, then like, you know, maybe it's an easier episode of Juno. That's a really good symbiotic relationship to have in your own in your own feet. I mean, like, I feel like for a lot of folks, the answer would have been, well, let's just do separate feeds and so on. But since you started as an anthology, there's that drive to yeah. compartmentalize it. And I I get it's it's great that it's been you know, it's been strong for you and not like something, have you, have you ever second guessed it? Um, yeah, because it's like annoying as shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, and like, I, I, I also, I, I don't actually know, but I imagine it can be frustrating as a listener, like, 
like, are you are you fucking serious? Like, you're gonna do a Juno three parter right now, and like, and now I have to wait who knows how long till the next second Citadel episode? Like, are you kidding me? Like, that seems very annoying, and I I worry about that a lot. Um, but I think that we would break up our fan base in a way that would not be very functional if we put them on separate feeds. Honestly, financially, I think it would be really bad for us to like split it in that way. Um, and I think that it just like it gives a sense of momentum and like I think there's something nice about the fact that the casts of the two shows are like there's a ton of overlap there and yeah. you kind of recognize voices um, so I think that's a nice thing what are some of your favorite and least favorite fantasy tropes fantasy that, tropes. that you have or haven't explo- explored within Second Citadel <sighs> um fantasy tropes well I mean like we very much did like Beauty and the Beast um, which I do love. And it's also something, though, that, like, um, I think some people have definitely taken issue with. Um, and for those who have listened to, like, Moonlit Hermit specifically. Um, and I know you may not I have. not have. Yeah. yeah, okay. Uh, but it's, it's a very, like, Beauty and the Beast thing. And I, like, will sometimes get the criticism that people give to Beauty and the Beast, which is, this is not romance, this is Stockholm Syndrome, um, which I actually don't agree with. Um, but... Uh, it's exceptional circumstances. Right, it's like, yeah, I'm not like promoting, like, be a monster kidnapping, like, some, like, you know, like, I think we're allowed to have some separation between um, fantasy and the real world, and especially because... Um, in storytelling, you don't want to literally do the same things that you want in real life because, like, okay, if you actually took the time it would take to, like, build a healthy relationship in real life, like, we would be here for years! You know, <laughs> like, okay, but you want to develop a relationship in one episode. You need some shortcuts and you need the audience's suspension of disbelief that, like, ah, they're just meant for each other. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, you don't have the time for that shit. Um, <laughs> and so, like... I, I do really love Beauty and the Beast, and I loved, like, um, sort of structuring a story um, on that trope, and, like, a lot, I mean, very closely even to the to the Disney movie, I think, um, a lot of it, like, we, we really would take parts of it and be like, okay, the snowball fight, like, how are we going to do that in our show? So we, like, sort of have parallels. Um, so that's a fantasy thing that I like. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I do like using, um, particularly monsters as, like, a metaphor for other things, like a way to explore other things that, um, that people worry about, or, um, as a metaphor for dealing with different kinds of people, yeah. you know, and, like, um, it could be racial or it could be about gender or it could be about sexuality but like I, I think that that's such a fantasy thing is to to use monsters as a stand-in for something else um, which I really enjoy doing yeah definitely definitely any more questions go for it uh, do you think you're gonna do any more of those like mini horror stories are you super unlikely i will not say never um because you know like i i think i've said this before but like we do have and i won't say when but like we do have um an ending planned for the juno series 
and not for the second Citadel series. Uh, so like one day we're gonna have to figure out what happens now with the feed. I actually don't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that Juno is likely to end before second Citadel. Um, and we're gonna have to figure out something to fill in the gap. So like it could be, like it could end up going back to horror, I don't know. Um, not for right now. It's, it's like not on the table right now, but good question. I'm just curious what the like creative process is for creating the episodes. I remember there's a like a voiceover you have about like you kept bugging Kevin about the you got to put in the wedding dress, you got to put in the wedding dress. <laughs> yeah, so, so the process is I bug Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so it obviously has changed a lot over time because the process is different when you are coming up with something brand new than when you're like revisiting the same characters and um, settings. So at this point, um, we generally, at the beginning of the season, we have like a, Kevin and I will like go get breakfast and like have a very, very long breakfast where we like nail down um, the very basic shape of the season. Um, you know, where do we in general want to see, where are these characters starting from? Where do we want to see them get to? Uh, are we introducing any characters? Are we like changing anything about the structure? Um, and then from there, we'll like break it down a little smaller. So we'll take an episode and we'll be like, okay, what, where do we need to start? Where do we need to end? Um, what characters are we going to need in this? Um, and then we will start to figure out an outline. Uh, one of the important things that we also try to do at some point in the outline is figure out like, what is the theme of the episode? Um, and that ends up coming through in the writing increasingly as we go. Um, so <clears throat> once we have an outline, I let him go free. <laughs> and uh, so Kevin will draft the episode and then uh, we'll go through it together. I'll be incredibly rude. Um, <laughs> and um, and he's, he's always super nice about it. Sometimes we fight about, um, you know, like plot points or character developments and stuff like that, but we're not happy with it until like we're both happy with it. Um, and then he'll like do another draft. We have an editing team as well. A couple people that we um, send it to to take a look. We get notes from them. Um, and then before we're finished with the writing process, we actually have rehearsal because we want to see like how it sounds when the actors, um, you know, read through it, what it sounds like in their voices. A really wonderful thing is that once we've worked with actors for a long time in the writing process, we can hear it in their voices, which is so cool. Um, so yeah, then we, then we rehearse, then it like goes through another round of edits. Um, and, and we, we take feedback from the actors too. Like if something felt crazy to them to say, or, um, if they don't think it really makes sense for their character, like we'll take that feedback too. Um, yeah. So like, there's a lot of collaboration and a lot of give and take. Um, and you know, we work together on like the macro and the micro version and like, so, you know, I'll, I'll bug him and stuff when it's like he's working on the draft of something and I'll just be like, oh, this thing has to be in it. Like, it has to. And then I'll like burst in and be like, you have to find a way. And he's like, I don't want to do that. But, uh, but then he does. <laughs> um, yeah. So like, uh, I, I never draft the episodes, um, but I often like have details or character things that I think are really important. Um, Anyone else? We must be almost done. We have. We have about five minutes. Give Love time it. for changeover. Um, yes, great. Five. 
Perfect. Five, seven, eight minutes. Perfect, <laughs> perfect, perfect. Let's see. Don't um, threaten me with eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat it up. Um, Second Citadel yeah. has uh, a lot of very strong characterization. Um, when you're, let's look, let me back that up a little bit. Okay, so your characterization that you have. You're talking about the impressions and, and working through that. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of your examples for um, for who the kinds of performances or characters that you've sourced to create your own characters? Uh, you mean like in terms of like like who like who are the correlations? Like where does where does Juno's voice come from? If you're say like we're creating an analog originally to, like, sure. to find that voice. So we've definitely talked about this before, and in fact. If anyone is a Patreon supporter, I think we actually talked about it again pretty recently. Uh, when we started uh, recording the Juno series, we always talked about the Juno voice existing on the Groucho Marx to Batman scale. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that's like kind of the spectrum of how Juno talks. Like sometimes he'll just be like wisecracking, and sometimes he'll be like, oh, I'm really depressed. Um, and so like that's wild. Yeah, that's and so you can like you can be like, oh, could you do more Groucho or could you do more Batman? Um, and again, as I've said since then, like, he just sort of, he knows the Juno voice now, and so I don't give him really reference points anymore because it just, he knows the voice. Um, but, um, so I know, I mean, I know, like, sometimes there are reference points that I give the actors, sometimes they're ones that the actors come up with. I know that Kate always talks about, um, is it Tina, Tina Belcher? Linda Belcher. Linda Belcher. Because uh, I obviously don't watch Bob's Burgers, um, so I know like that's her. That was like her starting reference point for Rita, but that I think like it has kind of what? become its own. Wow. Okay. I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I kind of get it, but like it's so like I I want to hear an interpretation of Harley Quinn done by her. I can't even yeah. imagine someone more perfect to take that's that. That's totally yeah. Harley is very like relevant there, right? Because we were like, can you just like do some sort of like a fake New York like. You know, like, don't try to do a real one. Just do, like, a fake New York accent. And that's sort of um, how Rita talks. Um, and then, I mean, so Buddy is very directly Catherine Hepburn. Um, and we were just like, Sarah, can you just do, just do Catherine Hepburn? And I think she does a very good job. Um, I, I don't act on the show a ton, um, especially these days, but when I do, especially because I find that I don't have a ton of versatility in my voice, I do try to very specifically imitate people um, to try to get my voice to sound as different as I possibly can. Um, there was one episode where I was just like trying to do my best Marilyn Monroe, um, which is, I think that's the second read a minute. Um, and sometimes like for bit voices, I'll be like, okay, I'm just gonna do Alan Rickman and Reese Witherspoon. And like, it doesn't sound like that when it comes out of me. Perfect, um, right. But at least they sound uh, different from each other. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, so sometimes it's like, it's very, or um, I think I've given people like Humphrey Bogart before. Um, and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm -hmm. Um, Kate Blanchett, um, just like you know, strong voices to imitate. And yeah, like, it won't come out sounding like that, and that's fine. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> um, unless we have any additional questions, I think, I think now we shall we'll wrap it. Um, is there anything that they should know uh, going forward about? So new new episodes Tuesday, right? Yes, coming out Tuesday. Um, 
And yeah, like it'll it'll be different, but I hope you'll come along. And thanks for being here. It'll still definitely awesome. be good. I, I'm gonna catch up and then I'm gonna move forward. And I cannot, Thank I cannot you. wait to see what the hell's gonna happen. Yeah, different stuff. It'll yeah, be fun. different good stuff. We'll see. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for coming.